0: Welcome to the SCG Church Podcast. We'd love to have you join us for our weekend services in person in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our service live online at scgchurch.org or live on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Thanks for listening. So we've been going through the book of Joshua, and every week we have highlighted um, different parts of the story of Israel. And so it really is a story of Israel coming out of um, the desert and into the Promised Land, and Joshua leading them. And so we've talked about Joshua's story a little bit, and then we've uh, talked about we talked about uh, Rahab's story. And today we're going to be talking about another character, and his name is Caleb. But in order to know Caleb's story, you actually have to rewind quite a bit and go even before the story of Joshua, because his story in many ways uh, parallels the timeline of Joshua's story. And so we're going to start in the book of Numbers, and then eventually we're going to land back into um, the book of Joshua. So uh, here's what it says. In Numbers 13, 1, it says this. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. Uh, All of them were leaders of the Israelites. So a little background, if you're not a church person, you haven't been here for the series, is we have the people of Israel, God's chosen people. They were in captivity for the last 400 years in Egypt. Moses marches them out. They cross uh, the Red Sea, and uh, they're wandering in the desert on their way to the promised land. And so we're in this moment in which they have arrived at the edge of the promised land. And it's called the promised land because God promised it to them uh, hundreds of years prior to this. And so they're standing at the edge of it, just getting ready to enter in. And so what Moses does, he sends 12 spies into it to see what the land looks like, to see what they're about uh, about to encounter. And so the first 10 or 10 of the 12 come back and here's the report that they give. He gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruits. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. So they go in there, and they say it's exactly like it was described. It's, it's going to be amazing. But there are some problems. Is There are giant cities with giant walls and giant people. And what's, here's what I love about Israel, and this is so true of us, is, is every time we enter into what maybe God is calling us, we're always surprised that there's obstacles. We always go, God, did you, did you call me to this? Yeah. And you knew that there was going to be all these problems along the way. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, did you know the extent of what these problems were going to be? Like, are you prepared? Because I feel like you maybe have nodded off here and you're not paying attention. No, no, no I'm here. I got it. Like, did you, did you stack the deck against me a little bit? Yeah, I kind of did. Yeah, I did. God, why would you do that? Well, because I want to make sure that you know that there's no way that you can do this on your own. Like, I want you to not just arrive at this destination. What I want to do is I want to grow your faith along the way. And then I want at the end of it to point to me and my power and my glory. So, yeah, I'm going to make it impossible. I heard this verse growing up, um, and it was, it was, I think, misunderstood. as God's never going to give you more than you can handle. Totally not true. 100% not true. He will give you more than you can handle all the time. And that's intentional. It's because he wants you to rely on him. He wants you to to speak in in, and walk with him through the journey. Okay. Um, Verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. So Caleb, this is where we're introduced to our character today. He jumps in and he says, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, time out. I think we can take this land. I think that all we got to do is we got to step forward in faith and and go. And we already recognize something about Caleb. He, in a lot of ways, is like Joshua. And Joshua was the other one who decided that they could do it. He is a man of courage. And not only is he a man of courage because he's ready to go in and he's ready to fight for what God has called him to, but he's also willing to step up in front of his peers and give a very unpopular opinion. I was thinking about uh, where we're at in in our culture, especially us here in kind of the the West and um, the West Coast, and and I think that we're going to have to learn to do this well, is to be able to express unpopular opinions. Like in the past, um, in the United States, there has been this kind of agreed upon set of basic beliefs, and they were based on the Judeo-Christian worldview, And whether you were a Christian or not, you kind of assumed that these things were true and everybody could agree on them. But now we've arrived at a place where not only is there not a consensus, but there's a hostility towards those beliefs. And so, um, for example, last week, Doyle just touched on uh, the Roe versus Wade decision. And I thought he did it in a really gracious way. I thought if you walked out and you didn't agree with him, you could at least know he loves me, he cares for me, and I, I, I get it. But there was inevitably people who were angry at the end of that. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting? Is It doesn't matter how you express something. If if you disagree, um, it's because you hate me. We're completely polarized. And by the way, I do this all the time too. I will turn on a podcast or TV and I will hear someone spouting an opinion that I do not agree with and I just go, turn it. (laughs) Those people are out of their minds. I'm dumber for having heard that right now. And it's because we've... We've become so polarized that even if we have a, 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 an opposing opinion, we can't, even, we can't even be in their presence. So what, I think what Christians are called to do is we have to live in this tension of truth and love. And we're going to have to learn how to do this really well. We're going to have to be people who hold firm to the truth and yet do it with an incredible amount of love. And so here's the key phrase, confident humility. Confident humility. It's a seemingly oxymoronic phrase, but I think it perfectly describes Jesus' attitude. Think about it. So on one hand, Jesus is probably the most confident person you've ever heard of in human history. Showed up on the scene and went, I am God. That's pretty confident, right? Like he, he operated under the belief that he was God incarnate. He knew who he was, what he was worth, what he came to do, and he was unshakable in that. That's confidence. That's confidence. But then, at the same time, he came with humility. He didn't say, I am God, and all you are a bunch of nobodies. He actually went to the least of us. He went to the outcasts, to the people who society um, deemed as, as lesser. And not only did he love on them, but he said, you are so worthy and valuable that I am willing to die for you. That's an incredible amount of humility. And so I think we have to we have to live in this place in which we can hold these two tensions, the love and truth, a confident humility. We have to be people who are confident in our beliefs. And, I, and by the way, I want to make it a little side note here. We have to be confident in our beliefs. The ones that are rooted in a historical Christian faith, like the ones that the church has always believed for the last couple thousand years, not our political opinions. You can hold those. You can be passionate about those. Those are not in the Bible. So we have to be confident in those, and we, we are unapologetic about the things that we believe because we believe it's true. And we didn't, we didn't make it up. Whenever somebody gets angry and go, how could you believe that? I go, I didn't make it up. This is Jesus talking here. If you're angry, talk to Jesus, not to me. I follow him. Here's what he says. And so I'm unapologetic about it. But at the same time, I come with humility, or at least I want to. As I come and I say, you know what? I know you don't believe like I believe. And maybe we are standing on the exact opposite ends of this issue. And yet, I want you to know that I love you, that I care for you. I want to, you to at least walk away from our discussion or our interaction knowing, I don't, I don't agree with what he has to say, but I know that he, he cares. I know that he loves me. I know that he wants what's best for me. I want to stand in this confident humility. Continues on uh, 14.1. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. They are very dramatic people. I don't know if you notice this or not. Very dramatic they're saying, you know what, I wish we would just, I, I just want to die out here. I'd rather die than, I'd rather be in slavery than have to deal with this. And I always thought, this is silly. Who would actually say that? And then COVID happened, and I went, we would say that. We would totally say that. <laughs> we would definitely do that. Is, there is something about this freedom that they're being called to that is scary. Because really, we all desire freedom, but when we have the opportunity to be free, it's a scary thing. Because now the responsibility is on us. We have to own our decisions, that the future is determined by what we decide to do, and that unknown is a scary thing. And so what they have to do is they have to either choose faith or fear. And in those moments like this in which they act in fear instead of faith, it quickly turns into disobedience. I would imagine that the people of Israel, um, and I'm not a psychologist, but I, uh, I think this this may apply to them is they're experiencing what's called cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is it's holding a, uh, a belief or an idea or an action, two of them together, but they're conflicting. So, for example, um, I believe that I should eat healthy. I believe it. I know it to be true. I don't often eat very healthy, though. Like on a fairly regular basis, I don't do what I know that I should do. And so on one hand, I know for a fact this is what I should do. On the other, I live very differently. And so what happens is when you have that cognitive dissonance where you have these two conflicting beliefs and ideas and actions is I either have to ignore it or I have to make an excuse as to why it doesn't apply to me in this moment. So here's what it sounded like on Friday for me. Uh this is just my daily. I'll, I'll come up with another excuse. I preached today. I deserve a double-double. You know, that's <laughs> the whole thing. Um, <laughs> Friday afternoon, go out to eat after VBS. I did nothing for VBS, by the way. I showed up barely, okay? Like I was drinking Red Bulls and going, you guys are doing a great job, you know, <laughs> and then taking naps. And so at the end of all of that, I go out to lunch and I just eat and eat and eat until I hate myself, okay? And so I'm eating and I think, Cody, You know you should be eating healthy today, and yet you're not. Why? Because I deserve this today. It's been a long week. People have worked hard this week at VBS, (laughs) and in honor of them, I'm eating today. Now, I would guess that if you were to sit down and speak with the people of Israel, they would say the same thing. They would say, no, 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 (laughs) no, you're misunderstanding here. Yes, yes, uh, we believe that we are God's chosen people called to go into the promised land. And yet our actions say that we're afraid and we're not going to obey. But I have a reason. I have an excuse. And by the way, excuses, all they are are rationalized disobedience. We're trying to rationalize our disobedience. And so what they might say is something like this is, well, if we try to go and take the land, what's going to happen to our kids? What about our wives? I mean, that would be irresponsible for us to abandon them to go into the promised land. If we die, there's going to be horrendous things that happen to our family. And so, you know what? It's not disobedience. I'm actually being responsible right now. I'm being responsible by not doing what God called me to do. And you think, well, that sounds crazy. No one would do that. Yes, we would. We do it all the time. I do it, and you do it. Is there are times in which I know that God is calling me to do something? Maybe not even just as an individual, just as a Christian. I know I'm supposed to do this, and yet I rationalize my disobedience. So let me get in your kitchen a little bit. Um, The reason why I don't tithe is because I have a family to take care of. I need to save for college. I, I need to provide. I mean, I don't make that much money to begin with. You know what? Now that I think about it, it would be irresponsible for me to give that kind of money away. Rationalize disobedience. Or, um, you know, rent is really expensive around here, and I really love this person, and so we want to make sure that we're compatible for a lifetime, and so we're going to live together um, so that we can save money and we can also make sure that we're going to be good together rationalize disobedience. We can't make it to church every weekend, you know, because like, look, I want my kids to be well-rounded. I want them to have fun. We've got activities. We've got sports. We've got things to do. And so, yeah, we'll drop in once in a while. Rationalize disobedience. I think we should just call it what it is. So, um, you know, they say like actions speak louder than words. So God knows what we're doing, right? Like, it's not a surprise to him where he's like, oh, you know, he got past me. I didn't even know. (laughs) No, like, what if we actually just verbalized what our actions are saying, at least for our own benefit? This would be a really fun exercise. Last night, they didn't buy it, but we're going to see if you guys buy it or not. So let's say that the next time we try to rationalize our disobedience, make excuses, we just say out loud what we're actually doing, okay? So God, today I got paid, and none of it is for you. Oh, God! You're gonna want to look away because you're not gonna like this website. <laughs> that one got less of a. That one got less of a chuckle. That one got a little bit like, oh, okay, all right. What if we just decided to say what we're actually doing? You're not. You're not getting one past God, so we might as well just admit it. See, you, I kind of got the same pullback on that one as I did last night, where you're like, I'm never. I'm not doing that. Um, Let's see what Caleb uh, responds with. Here's what he says 14, verse 7. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. So Caleb jumps in and he says, Are you guys crazy? Look at where we have come from. Look at what God has done. And now we're standing at the edge of the promised land. And all you see are obstacles. When we should be seeing opportunities. All you see are giants and we're grasshoppers, but you should be seeing God in the midst of what's happening here. Oftentimes our blessings become a block to being bold. I would just imagine that Israel's sitting there and they're thinking, okay, look, we're not in slavery anymore anymore. And, you know, we got a good, like, river view here, and our tents are, I'm kind of getting used to it, you know, and you know what, let's just stay right where we're at, or maybe let's just go back, because we want to make sure that our kids are protected, and at least we have enough to eat, and, you know, I'm comfortable, I haven't known any different, and so why rock the boat? Let's just stay where we're at, or go back, let's not try to push forward." And this is what we do, is God gives us these blessings, and then once he begins to bless us, they become a block for him blessing us further, because we then d- direct and protect, direct and protect. No, 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 i got to protect my kids. I thought those were a gift that God gave. He did, but now they're mine. i got to take them back. I've got to protect them. I've got to direct them. Well, that, that house, that career, that spouse, was that a gift from God? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now that he gave it to me, I've got to protect. It's like, whoa, whoa hold on. If he gave those things to you, one, the fact that you think that you can protect those is kind of silly, you know, like, but furthermore, I think when we do that, we then stop the blessings that God wants to give us. He goes, no, 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 that was the beginning. I had so much more for you. There was so much, that was just the beginning of the blessings. I I have so many things that I want to do and that I want to give you and that I want you to experience and yet now you're just protecting the, the things that I gave you. And so they become a block to being blessed further by God. So I came up with this rule. It's a rule for me, and you can use it if you want. During this series, as we've studied Joshua, I came up with what I'm calling the 10 and 2 rule. It has nothing to do with driving. The 10 and 2 rule. The 10 and 2 rule is um, based on the 12 spies. 10 came back, and then only 2 said that we could do it. The ten said, there's no way. The two said, yes, we can. And so I've decided I want to consciously choose to be like the two and not the ten. And and here's the difference. Um, They were both very aware of the challenges that were ahead of them. Like, you know, people who are just like blind to like, you're like, dude, this is not going to work out. Like, you have no clue what you're doing right now. No, no. They understood the challenges. Both of them saw the challenges clearly. And both of them saw the opportunity, or at least what could be, that was standing in front of them. Yeah, this is exactly what God promised. The difference was very simple yet profound. The two believed that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. They decided to act in faith instead of fear. As they looked at what God has done that brought them out of slavery and through the desert and now to the edge of the promised land, they simply believed God didn't bring us here to abandon us. So we're going to trust that he'll take care of us from here on out. Even if I don't see a way, even if it doesn't make any sense, I will be like the two. And so here's how they responded to Caleb's plea to trust God. They said, you are right. We have been such fools. Thank you for pointing out our disobedience and foolishness and calling us to trust in God once again. That's not in there. I made that up. I fully made that up. That is not what they said at all. Like, have you ever called out your kid for being disobedient? And Have they ever responded like that? Like, Father, <laughs> thank you. Wow. I now see the error of my ways. No. That's not not how this goes. Here's what they said. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. (laughs) So not only do we not agree with you, I might kill you because of it. Like that's how much I don't like what you're saying right now. (laughs) One of the first things that we do naturally is whenever we are living in disobedience, we separate ourselves from anybody who might challenge us in our disobedience. They don't even have to say anything. It's just by being in their proximity that we go, "I can't I cannot be around you right now because you are ruining it for me. You are reminding me of how I am supposed to live and I am not living." And so whenever somebody starts living in disobedience, you'll start to see that they separate themselves from that group of friends or from the church or even the faith because they cannot be around people who remind them of their disobedience. So here's how their story ends, at least for Israel and that generation. God gave them exactly what they wanted. They said, we would rather be dying in the desert, in the wilderness, than have to go into the promised land. And God said, not a problem. Sometimes God's greatest punishments is letting us have our way. He said, you want to be in charge? You you want the outcomes to be up to you? Okay. It's yours. It's yours. And that's exactly what happened, is they ended up wandering around in the desert for 40 years until everybody that was a part of the generation that refused to enter into the promised land died. There's only two that were left, Joshua and Caleb. And here's how their story ends. And we know that through the series is they now are called to enter into the promised land. They go in, they begin fighting for the, for the land. They go from city to city, overcoming the enemies and bringing peace to those cities eventually, after many years of fighting, they get to what seems to be the end of their journey. And Joshua starts dividing up the land to all the leaders and to all the different tribes of Israel, and he finally gets to Caleb. And here's what Caleb says to Joshua. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions— but my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance, and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. If you continue on in this passage, it repeats that phrase over and over again. The word that describes Caleb is he he pursued God wholeheartedly. That's what was different about Caleb than everybody else, is he was all in all the time. God, what are you calling me to do? Not a problem. He just came with open hands, and he just says, okay, God, it's yours. My family, my future, everything that I have, I'm in. Whatever you're calling me to do, my answer is always going to be yes. See, I understand if you're here today and you um, are not a, a follower of Christ. I get that. Somebody invited you, you know, you got sucked in because your kids were at VBS this week and they wanted to come back, and you're like, ah, I don't know about that. And, and you're just trying to check it out, and I get that. I'm, I'm actually, this place is for you. We're excited that you're here. We want you to just sit and try to figure this thing out. Figure out what our faith is all about. You can question us on the Bible, on Jesus, on God. We're not afraid of your questions. We love those questions. And we want you to see if we're legit or not. Do we really believe this stuff? And then eventually, if you decide, you know, I think I might want to follow this Jesus. We're going to help you with that. But I would actually warn you, don't follow Jesus until you know what you're getting into. Because there is something that we we say all the time around here, that Jesus changes everything. And we believe that. He can change your life, he changed mine, and so many people's others. But if you want Jesus to change everything, it's going to require that you give him everything. Make sure that you're ready to give him everything. And then he will change everything. But There's another group of people that I don't quite understand. It's the people who call themselves Christians, but follow Christ half-heartedly. I don't really get that. It's kind of like doing marriage half-heartedly. You're not going to enjoy your marriage, at least not to what it is supposed to be. And your spouse definitely is not going to enjoy your marriage. It's not going to be the fullness. It's not going to be the beauty that it was created to be when you're half-hearted in your marriage. Your spouse will suffer, you will suffer, and your kids will suffer as they watch. I think being a Christian that does it kind of halfway, half-heartedly, is sort of the same. Is You're never going to experience the transformation. You're never going to experience the freedom. You're never going to get to fully understand what it means to, to be set free in Christ. And the people around you are going to suffer. Your spouse, your kids, your friends, your family, your coworkers. Because here's what happens: is, um, and I've seen this happen with parents and, and their kids a lot. Is when parents show their kids a half-hearted version of faith, what they're doing is they're immunizing them from the real faith. Is they see that you don't take it all that serious. There's no real power. There's no real life transformation. And so when they get old enough, what they're going to do is they're not only going to walk away from this faith. But now they're going to be immune to it in the future. It's like they've had a vaccine for faith. And they go, you know, I've seen that. I've tried that. I want nothing to do with it. And I've come to believe that those are some of the hardest people to reach with the message of Christ. Because they've gotten just enough to be immune to it. But not to see its transforming power. I don't really understand that half-hearted belief. Caleb says this to Joshua. Now then, just as the Lord promised... He has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. 45 years it's taken for him to finally see God's promise come to fruition. Like we live in a time in which we want instant everything. 45 years? I'm not even 45 years old. That's forever. I couldn't, I what? But he says, some of you guys are like, not 45? <laughs> Got the miles on you, buddy. I know. Um, Here's what I've realized. All of life's most important wins are going to take a lifetime to accomplish. We want instant gratification. We want instant success. We want instant recognition. And all the things that actually matter in life, it's going to take a lifetime. Your faith, it's going to be for the rest of your life, you're going to be building your faith. Your marriage, you want it to last a lifetime. Parenting, it's never going to end. And so we have to learn this value of keep showing up. This thing Caleb has is called staying power. And that's what it looks like to be a person of faith. Well, Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I like it. The picture, 85, he is battle-hardened. He is a warrior. He went from being a slave to escaping to wandering the desert to now being a warrior. And here he is, 85, and here's what he says. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Typical guy. I'm 85, and I will show these young punks what's up. This reminds me of my dad kind of a little bit. Don't tell him I said this, but like, (laughs) like we'll work out and I'll like, we'll be lifting and he'll be like, oh no, I can dandle. We don't need to take any weights off. I'm like, okay, you know, it's like a pop of blood vessel in your head. So anyway, side note, don't tell him I said that. He's out of town. Um, Anyway, what he says, uh, verse 12. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Joshua has to be thinking, dude, we're old. 85, it is time to retire, relax, enjoy all this hard work over all of these years. And you know what Caleb says? No way. I'm a warrior. You, the Warriors do not retire. I am ready to go. I am just as ready as I was the day that Moses sent me out there. I'm more hungry. I'm more faithful. I'm more ready to take over land for the kingdom than I ever have been. This totally reminds me of my grandfather. I've shared this a bunch of times before, but my grandfather was right around this age, and uh, he was on his deathbed. We knew that he only had a few weeks left to live, and he was working at the church as a pastor, working at the church until they hauled him off. And even on his deathbed, he's like, I think I can make just one more service. Just one more. I got another sermon. I got some people that I need to pray with. If I could just get one more in. And it's like, you've been doing this for over 80 years, but I got one more in me. That's the attitude of Caleb. He says, I am ready to fight. As long as there is breath in my lungs, I am ready to go and fight on God's behalf. Then Joshua blessed Caleb and gave him Hebron. As his inheritance. See, the, the part that um, is confusing to us is some of us have been fed this version of Christianity, uh, and this has become popular the last 50 years in the United States especially, is uh, when you follow Jesus, you will become healthy, wealthy, and wise. If you just follow Jesus, he's going to make everything all better. And the everything that is all better means he's going to give us comfort in life. He's going to make our lives comfortable. I've read the Bible a couple times. I don't see that in there. What I see here is, and this is true in the Old Testament, and it's especially true in the the New Testament, is following Jesus will always make your life better, but it will never make your life more comfortable, which almost seems contradictory because we just go, no, 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 better life is a comfortable life. Wrong. A, a, A life with a calling is a better life, not a life of comfort. And and so, when we begin to follow Jesus, it will be so much better, but it will be so much more uncomfortable because He's going to call you to give. He's going to call you to sacrifice. He's going to call you to forgive. He's going to call you to love people whom you don't want to love. It is going to make you so uncomfortable. He's going to throw you in the deep end and He's going to go, now you got to rely on me. He's always going to make our life better, but it will always become more uncomfortable. Which, by by the way, if you follow Jesus and you're like, no, 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 my life is totally comfortable. I'm just, I'd say I could guess that. Just ask a couple questions. Are you sure about that? Because I had a friend this week who came to me, and they said, um, it's a close friend of mine, he says, I think, I think God's calling me to go into ministry. He's <laughs> <It's> like disgusted. <laughs> I'm like, okay. But he's like, no, 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 but seriously, it's, it's, it's like I have my whole life planned out. I've had it planned out since I was a kid, and it's going the way that I want it to go. And all of a sudden, it feels like he's calling me to go a totally different direction that is so unknown and so scary, and it's freaking me out. And I said, good, then that's probably God. Because if it were up to you, you would probably choose comfort. But if it's up to God, he's going to make you really uncomfortable, because he's more um, concerned with your calling than your comfort. And that's how Caleb was blessed. He said, don't give me the city that is going to be comfortable. There's all these other cities that have already been conquered that are peaceful. He could go and he could relax and he says, no, I don't want comfort. I want calling. I don't care if it is giants or ger- geriatrics. I am a warrior and I will continue to push forward. Same spirit in the New Testament. The disciples, when Jesus resurrected, they didn't go, okay, great. Let's just bide our time until we get to go and be with him. No. They said, there is no retirement in the kingdom. We will continue to push forward until the day that we die. Here's what Caleb, I think, understood. He said here that this was his inheritance and that he would pass this on to the next generation. And so he got to choose, what piece of land would you like to pass on to the generations? And you know what's interesting? Is the land that he chose, there's not really anything special about it in the end. Because it says shortly after this that Caleb went... He took over, he brought peace, and then that city became just like all the other cities that he could have chosen. What did he understand that maybe we miss? The difference was not the land, but the legacy that he was leaving for the next generations. For both of uh, my grandfathers, they didn't leave much money when they died. Very little, just enough for them to make it and, and their spouses. But they did leave a legacy, As I look back on my grandparents, especially my grandfathers, and I look at their life, they have left a legacy of faith that has continued on through the generations. They continue to show up. They continue to live this faith out in real ways. They continue to love their spouse and their kids and continue to serve their churches. They left a legacy. See, I think for Caleb, the land that he chose was just another way to leave a legacy. Because as the next generations talked about, how did we get here? How did this become our home? They get to tell the story of Caleb. And he chose not the land that had been conquered, that was easy, that was comfortable. He chose the one that he needed to continue to fight and rely on God for. Because he wanted to leave legacy. And so that's our choice. We get to choose the kind of land that we want to pursue. Do we want one of comfort and ease? Because God will let us pursue that. He will allow us to pursue one in which our families are, are safe and our needs are met and, and we don't have to sacrifice any of our time or our resources and we get to spend a majority of it just focused in on, on us. He'll let us do that. The problem is he won't be there with us. He, he doesn't need to be because we've got it figured out. It's already peaceful. It's already comfortable. God, I'll call you if I need you you watch these stories and you hear this life transformation and you hear God using people and all of this and you sometimes wonder well why doesn't God ever do that with me like I want to see a life transformation I want to be used in that kind of way well maybe it's because you lived in the comfortable land and he didn't need to show up or he says that you can choose the land that is yet to be conquered He says that you can choose to be on the front lines of faith, to be in the fight, to be taking territory for the kingdom. And what I mean by this is that we are fighting for people who are far from God. People who don't know him, people who have rebelled against him, which all of us have been at one point. And we use our time, we use our gifts, our resources in order to bring those people into a relationship with Christ. That's what it looks like to bring, uh, to fight for more territory in the kingdom is hearts and minds In the kingdom of God. I'll be honest, in this last season, I've been reaffirmed in a lot of this. As a lot of people, and we probably know lots of folks, and and it's, you know, I understand it, is they've chosen, California is not for me. It's a dark place. I don't like where it's going. I'm not sure. And I've actually been more excited about it ever since. Because I go, yeah, it's the front lines. There's a spiritual battle. And guess where? We're at the very front of it. And so in the darkness, we get to be the light. The people who are far off from God, we get to be the one that reaches them. The people who want nothing to do, we get to be the ones who get to be the light in their life. And so we get to be people who are on the front lines of faith. And so the question for today is this. What land will you choose to live in? The land of ease and comfort or the land that leaves a legacy? In this fall, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to leave a legacy because we have chosen as a church, as a staff, that we are not comfortable with just staying where we're at. That there is far more land for us to take. There are far more people for us to reach, and so we're going to ask you to step up in some pretty pretty serious ways in the fall. But the first question that you have to answer is, what land are you choosing? The one of comfort and ease or the one that leaves a legacy? And if it's the one that leaves a legacy, get ready to use your relationships and your resources and your prayers in order for us to move forward let's pray lord god we thank you for uh, allowing us to be a part of what you're doing lord as i think about my life and oftentimes how small and insignificant it feels it almost feels like what i'm doing is is meaningless But then when I connect that to what you're doing in the world, it brings all new significance. It brings a whole new purpose and depth to my life that whatever I accomplish, as long as it's a part of what you're doing in the world, then it matters, and it matters deeply. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would be people who choose to live in the land that leaves a legacy, not one of comfort and ease. Lord, I pray that you would use us in some pretty significant ways. And as we prepare and plan for the future and we think about all the things that you're calling us to do, that you would give us courage like Caleb and Joshua. Lord, we thank you. We love you. Today we pray. Amen. All right, we guys stand with me? Hey, um, as you head out, there's a, that, that hospitality team that I talked about. There's a ton of them making food, chicken nuggets, and tater tots, health food over there. Uh, Kona Ice and the CLC is open. Have a great weekend. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we have live services on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings in our West Auditorium. Or you can watch live online at scgchurch.org or on our YouTube and Facebook.